since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as tired as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. You built a time machine? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Monday, March 17th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm your co-host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And I'm your co-host, Annie Goodman, journalist and young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show. Annie Goodman. Annie Goodman. Okay, it's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucked, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners here on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. It is our 300th episode of the Stupid Cancer Show. Yes, who knew on May 28, 2007, we'd be here today celebrating our all of our glorious glory. Who knows what we're knows? celebrating. All right, we have a great show tonight. We have uh, Kiku Collins and David Gibson, live musician, survivor, coupled of the greatest non-David Hasselhoff uh International touring debut on the radio show. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Extravagant. Yes, uh, incorporated. It, live in studio. We love live in studio. And we'll be featuring Patrick Dempsey's brand new cancer documentary, The Peloton Project, with director Ramsey Tripp and co-producer Laura Davis. And I am Maureen Sweet, manager of programs and operations here at Super Cancer, and I will be live tweeting throughout the broadcast at Chemodex. So send me your questions and feedback at any time with the hashtag SC Radio. All righty. 300 episodes. What did we do for 250? Did we throw a party? I think we threw a party. Well, we had Irish parties. Same so thing we're doing tonight. We pre-gamed. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day in, in advance. Yes, exactly. Bah humbug. What? I said bah humbug. That's what Jews? <laughs> and I can't drink. Aaron go, Aaron go bra humbug. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. God, May 28th, 2007. You were just a boy. I was. I had a hair. Not yet a woman. A little more hair. Yeah. 40 more pounds, a little more hair. Yeah, exactly. From my house. What do I say? In my basement in pajamas? Yes. I wasn't really in pajamas, and it wasn't really in my basement. But it was 
an empty bedroom in a house in Bay Ridge with no board, no money, no staff, no nothing. Twelve anything. years of volunteer. <laughs> Twelve years of volunteer, exactly. No, I'm really, really cool, uh, excited. This is this is a big milestone. We should be proud. This is this is as cool as hitting 100,000 likes on Facebook. It's a really big deal. Yeah, yeah. big milestone. Big milestone. to be here. Yeah. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm noticing someone here in the studio tonight that hasn't been here in quite a while, and we couldn't be happier to have her back here tonight, the lovely and talented Annie Goodman. Thank you. Welcome back. I was Welcome back. Trying to uh, find your underground out. bunker with yeah. Dick Cheney. I, I, I escaped. You escaped your, your undisclosed location. Yes. I was trying to think. I think it's been three months. It's been a while. Yeah. So last, I think I had was about to go to Houston to go to MD Anderson. I think, and then when I came back was when I started feeling really sick. Like immediately that night I came back, I started feeling really, really sick. And Texas then, has that influence on some people. Yeah, it does. The whole state. Usually it happens to me on, in Austin on 6th Street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Houston is, I think I would just die of boredom. So I, uh, before, prior to that, I had just had a hysterectomy and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And it turned out. You had brain tumors like me. Well, that was figured out later. Okay. When I was like getting confused and couldn't see and all kinds of funny things like that. So I went to Houston. Then, you know, they basically told me, you know, we're pretty sure you have metastatic breast cancer, blah, blah, but you look okay. But let's do a chest scan just in, ca- just in case. And uh, I did a chest scan, and there was, like, all kinds of cancer off of my lungs, and I was like, this sucks. Then, um, <laughs> this sucks. Yeah, then it was, uh, I think the reaction was a little stronger than that. But then I was starting to look into clinical trials, and then um, – was working that route because uh, I triple negative breast cancer. I have BRCA1. There's a lot of drugs out there like PARP inhibitors that are very successful for people like me. So that was where I was at. And then over the weekend, uh, before I was supposed to meet with the doctor about seeing the clinical trials, I got I had been feeling very sick leading up to that. And um, everyone kept saying, it's menopause, it's menopause, you know, you're depressed, blah, blah. And then... Um, I got lost in my brother's building, and that was weird and scary, <laughs> and it turned out that was a seizure. Oh, boy. So, yeah, because they say you have these, like, focal seizures where um, you could, like, lose your – I was losing my peripheral vision. That was a form of a seizure. And then also uh, getting lost in common places is also a form of a seizure. So that was happening, and that was weird. And everyone's like, well, you're just stressed out and overwhelmed. I was like – you should have stressed out and overwhelmed. I don't get lost in my brother's building and not know where to go. So then uh, two days later, I completely lost my peripheral vision, my left-hand side, and that was when I ended up called my doctor, and they were like, go to the emergency room right now. We're calling. We're ordering your test. And uh, I told my friends, I was like, I know what's going to happen. I either have a, I either have a brain tumor or I had a stroke. I was like, one of the two is going to end up with me in the hospital for several days. So being the... Uh, professional patient that I am packed a bag for ended up in the hospital for eight days. I had to get more crap, but I said, let's just uh, throw some underwear in a bag. I was with my boyfriend and my, my friends. And uh, I said, I, I need to pack a bag and take a lot of Xanax. I know what's about to happen. And uh, found out I had six brain tumors and I was admitted to the ICU, which was interesting because one of my roommates before I was able to get into the neuro ICU had a flesh wound so every time they changed his uh, dressing, it smelled like um, dying flesh. Mm. And I nicknamed that roommate Smelling Cat. Isn't that a new like 
candle scent. <laughs> it's, oh yeah, it yeah. should be for someone you hate. Like Yankee Candle. <laughs> it should be for burnt, <laughs> burnt hair. Isn't that the other? That's yeah, the burnt hair and dying yeah. death. So uh, smell of intestine. <laughs> well, that was on the other. Cur- I was in a quad. The guy next to me had the other guy on the other side had um, advanced colon cancer. Mm. So I felt really bad. So I didn't complain about him, but I did complain about the flesh wound and said, I will give you guys my credit card. Get me a private room right now. Like you're in the ICU. There are no private rooms in the ICU. You just have to wait until the neuro ICU has a discharge and you can get in. I was like, well, I'm supposed to get better in the hospital and you're making me worse because this guy stinks and I need a constant, <laughs> I need a constant, uh, What's it called? Like stream of Zofran. <laughs> they're like, they're like, the they're like, he's from Long Island. <laughs> like, we know. I was like, I normally don't throw tantrums, so I nicknamed Silly Cat. And um, they finally got me out of there. It was a narrow ICU for a few days. And then I had brain surgery. They took out three brain tumors. And then I had some chemo after that. And then I had brain radiation, and then more chemo, and I'm having gamma knife surgery next week. Mm. Wow. So my brain MRI was actually really, really good. I had a really, really good response. Just I had so much going on in there. It was tough to knock it all out with just the treatment I had. So my doctors are very pleased. So even though my first reaction was to have a heart attack, was why did I have gamma knife scheduled for next week? What is, what is in there? And they said just a tiny bit of residual. So they said, let's just... Well, that's the be best aggressive. news ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, thought, yeah, it could have been better. But you know what? Like, it's good for now. And hopefully this will keep it away for a while. Because uh, usually once you have metastatic brain tumors, they tend to come back. But I'm going to have brain MRIs, like, every other week. Brains so. are overrated. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to have MRIs all the time, so I'll just have more gamma knife as we go along. So speaking of rotting flesh, um, yeah. Maureen was in the half marathon. <laughs> yep. Uh, My knees weekend. are no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And right. you must have passed by and been passed by lots of very interestingly smelling individuals. You know, I... So my, my biggest fear, uh, I was public about this, was I was really scared I was going to poop my pants because apparently that happens during long races. <laughs> and I'm like, what if, what if this happens to me? That's but like, people do that during like half marathons. You just like lose control of your body. It's like when you, you die. And you just, yeah, so I did not, but I was, and no one around me seemed to, so that was nice. Good thing you have Shepherd's fine Guinness before the race. <laughs> but you did finish two hours, 53 minutes? Two hours, 23 minutes, 23 minutes. and 53 seconds. Very nice. I was close. I had the numbers in there. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was pretty proud of that. I've never done a half marathon before, so it seemed good. Like a decent time. Yeah. Good and I, and I finished it, so that was really good. Nice. I think the pants pooping is usually the people who are trying to win oh. and don't want to stop. Because I remember I watched oh, yeah. like the New York City Marathon, and the woman who was in the lead just like puked on herself on camera, oh, and I had to cut away really quick because it was yeah. disgusting. <laughs> and they're like, and she just threw up. I mean, <laughs> she didn't even slow down. She was like vomiting like mid sprint. Yeah. It's because they're trying to win. I mean, I can think those are people. I figured I, you know, it's $20,000. Yeah. So I'm like, well, if I can get down from like an 11 minute mile to a five minute mile, it's not that bad. It's only 11,000? 20,000, I think. Oh, 20,000? I thought it was more. It's the half. I don't know. Yeah. It's not as important. Half the winnings. Yeah, true. (laughs) I played the uh, New York City Marathon one year, and where they had a station must have been a point. 
in the race where many people had to relieve themselves because there was a, a some bushes. Mm-hmm. Oh god! Yeah, uh, I saw a lot of squatters behind the bushes. <laughs> Usually, you should see the lines for the porta potties. Those it's are awful. different kinds of squatters. That's like an extra ten minutes <laughs> of your race just waiting if you want to use one of the restrooms. Usually, the uh, popular squat to use the bathroom are hers to fix the nice bridge. Is that right? Yeah. Because no one cares about and Queens. Yeah. Nobody's, <laughs> nobody's there because it's, cause yeah. it's dead. Yeah. Because it's very empty. <laughs> There's a lot of tears on the on that bridge. Nice. Anyway. Well, we're glad to have you here tonight. Thank we you. hope you're able to come back more and more. I hope and so too. To your returning, returning champion status here. Thank you. In the chair that we've kept so warm for you. Yes. Very nice. I'm oh. feeling like a human again. Good. Good. And that's you're looking like a human. Thank you. That's even better. All right, cool. Well, again, we have our phenomenal in-studio guest tonight. I will give you a formal introduction. Ooh. You know the music? Growing Summit Hall. Yes. Elmore Leonard. All right, Tiku Collins is a well-traveled performer, navigating the music scene via her play on both the trumpet and the flugelhorn. A survivor of breast cancer as a young adult who only recently fell in love with all that is stupid cancer. I am envious as a fellow musician and performer that she has been invited to perform with Beyonce. Michael Bolton, Gloria Gander, among others. Uh, and when she's not lending her talents to others, she and her fabulous beau, David Gibson, uh, have their own band. They release their own albums, and they're doing amazing things promoting the young adult movement and making everyone feel completely and entirely talentless. Please welcome Kiki <laughs> and David. How's that for the best intro ever? Well, we can go now. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, everyone. I am uh, really, really thrilled to finally get you guys on the show tonight. This is fun. From the minute that we first met you all those months and months ago, yeah. uh, Maureen has done nothing but talk about you, and there's a secret shrine we haven't showed you yet. Ooh, yep. you need some hair? Yeah. And I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great, a blood sample. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have some homemade candles. Oh, great. It's actually sure. made out of butter. They have a shrine, nice. Right. It's not Bobby Rahal? No. <laughs> right, exactly. No, they're too young for that. I know. Yeah, you can't yeah. make these references with the 20 something in the yeah, room. I don't know what that means at all. Yeah, exactly. I'm 32 and I don't know what that means. <laughs> Bobby Rahal butter sculpture that was on David Letterman probably 20 years ago. Yeah. That was back when he did like Velcro Man. Yeah, exactly. In the 80s. Oh. Yeah, yeah. When Chris Elliott, Chris Elliott was on the show. All the oh, time. God, Chris yeah. Elliott. Cabin Boy, right? The man under the seats. <laughs> Cabin <Sorry>. Boy. <laughs> Monkey Cam. That was you wouldn't know Chris Elliott as Woogie from Something About Mary. He was, yeah, that's right. the most, oh, most relevant yeah. thing that he's done recently. Woogie. Yeah, yeah. Was pretty good. Yeah, exactly. I used to call my mom Woogie when she got a rash. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I would call her Woogie. That's a nice. Oh. I haven't seen that movie. Very either. nice, very nice. In any case, I'm glad you're here on the show. I would love you to regale our listeners with your story as a young adult with breast cancer, how music got into your life, and I love the fact that you've now fired two doctors. And I want you to talk about that because <laughs> having those kinds of balls are what people literally need to understand that they have the potential to do mm-hmm. and that no one is the boss of you. So why don't you start with, um, uh, the, the, let's say, the six months before you were diagnosed. What was your life like? Well, we had just gotten married. Actually, we were planning our wedding six months. Yeah, we were. Yeah. And then we had a, a It was low budget. It was, okay. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was handcrafted. Fancy. Was it during the half marathon? 
No, and nobody <laughs> pooped in their pants. Oh, yeah. Well, that we know one, of. one person did throw oh, up on did themselves. Up on themselves. That's yeah. Another, yeah. I'm sure that was alcohol related. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> a sign of any good one. That wasn't a marathon yeah. during yeah. that. Yeah. They really wanted to win. They really wanted to win that alcohol. Nice. Very nice. So, yeah, so we were planning our wedding. We got married in July. Right. What year? Uh, 2012. Oh, what year was that? Twelve. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you both don't remember. <laughs> you know what? This is how well connected we yeah. are. It doesn't even matter what we year. We were laughing about yeah, right. this last night. We had yeah, a friend we over, and and it seems like we've been together forever. It, yeah. It hasn't actually been forever, but no. yeah. No, it's been it's been a nice ride. It's been very good. Yeah. So, did you feel a lump? Did you have a pain? What? what? I have always had lumps. Okay. I'm a very lumpy girl. Got it. And, um, and well, there's, there's a, a lot family of, history. Yeah, too. there's a huge family history. So I've been getting checked since I was, you know, in my mid-20s. And, uh, you know, I mean, every year it was the same thing. Oh, we need to do another scan, you know. And it's like, oh, it's nothing. And because, right. because you were lumpy, I believe the just the normal uh, mammogram was never. They always did trick. a sonogram right okay. in. They always do a sonogram. Like they would roll me right in. Like, okay, yeah. next. So. I was actually after we got married. It was your, after? Yeah, it was shortly after she yeah. said, "Yeah, you have to go." Right, because I was about to head out of town for five weeks to do a show, um, and I was going to live. Well, I did. I lived yeah. out in the Hamptons for five weeks doing this play. Right. And uh, so I think I guess I went to the doctor a few weeks before this gig started. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm a little late for my checkup, blah, blah, blah. And everything was cool. And then she, you know, she does a little exam that doctors do where they just are basically feeling you up. And, you know, she's going over the usual suspects and she's like, well, let's see, you haven't had a, a mammogram in 14 months. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm a little late. I'll get it when I'm done with this gig. She was like, I would prefer you went sooner. So of course, Uh-oh. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Oh no. You know? I mean, yeah. That's the first thing you think. And uh, so I went in, I guess it was a couple of days later and, you know, and they always have the same reaction. Oh yeah. You have this every year, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I was, I went to the gig, right? Yeah. There was something different. Um, she, she was staying out in Sag Harbor and the way the gig, the way the gig worked, uh, she was rehearsing six days a week, or working six well, days a yeah. week. There was rehearsals and then like when the performance, yeah, yeah. performances. Mm-hmm. So every week she would get to come home but after the last day. show on Sunday. She could come home and she would take a bus home, and then we would get Monday together. And the Hampton Jitney. Yeah, exactly. the Hampton the Jitney. The Jitney. You know what's up, man? You know, I think I saw you on the Hampton Jitney. <laughs> Yeah, you ate your. You I ate had the straw uh, hat over my you face. Ate all your Uts products. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh, no, but but so she was coming back like one day a week, and so every week there was a new test. It was scheduled. a new freaking doctor. I'm thinking, ooh, Mondays. Like I'm working six days like crazy. Right. I get one day to go home, hang out, see my family, you know, do little things. No. And it's musical chairs with the doctor. Oh, yeah. God. Well, every we just had to get different tests every week. So the first the first time you went and you got your mammogram and sonogram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then the next time then you went and got the biopsy. That was that the one was that was really horrible. scary. But we celebrated afterwards with uh, with a greasy burger and some fries. It was but it was well organic indulge. and gluten free. Oh, it was, yeah. It was <laughs> You're meeting something halfway. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It was a beer involved. Generally, yeah, that's generally what. Wait, we so was was there like the phone call at some point? Yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> and you already know. He was in Brazil. How dare you? He was in Brazil. So the tests keep getting deeper and deeper every week. He's out of the country. So it's not like I can call him. So I'm going, yeah, okay, let's Skype, blah, blah, blah. Every time I get him on the Skype, yeah, he's in the hotel everybody. lobby, and there's the entire band oh, God. that I know. Hey, how are you doing? They're all like poking their heads in and waving. I'm like, oh my God, I have to tell my husband that I think I'm going to die next week. And everyone keeps popping into this freaking screen and I can't say anything. Right, right, right. So that was really difficult. Yeah. I what did they actually say? What did they actually the well, say? didn't say I was going to die the next did week. Did the biopsy come back like something or? Yeah. Well, they immediately wanted to get you in with a breast surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the worst part was when they did the biopsy, they were like, oh, it's usually nothing. Don't worry about it. In fact, if there's something there, well, it'll probably all come out. I'm like, what? What? How? Yeah. Okay. And, oh, P.S., I also practically passed out. Yeah, you out. did pass out, yeah. Literally, you know, they wedge you in this thing, and so you're like this, this right? This is a core biopsy? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, like, in the worst position ever. You think your spine is going to snap, <laughs> and they're like, don't move. And you're saying, okay, I don't know how I would move. And there's <laughs> this humongous needle through your breast. Right. And then there's this horrible sucking noise. Uh. <laughs> like, I can't even... Can Mock you describe it. a positive sucking noise? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's not where I was going, but I of course it was where you were going. Hold on, what's the Emily show? Uh, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so they've got me in this horrible position, and then I turn white as a ghost. I am freezing cold and sweating at the same time, and of course the nurse looks at me. She goes, "Are you okay?" I'm like. No, I'm not okay. All good over here. Yeah. I'm right. Actually, that nurse came out and told me. She was very sweet. She that she's the one me. that told me to go take you for a burger. Yeah. She she, well, like, she tried she to give me one of those ghetto right cookies. Now. Oh, God. And I was like, the I can't eat cracker. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just this horrible thing. And, uh, horrible I was, thing. It was just yeah. this big, horrible, nasty I know, I know that thing. It was like yeah. non-bread. Oh, yeah. yeah no, how many I characters like, do they have in the label for that? Yeah. Horrible, I, said, non-cookie I think if yeah. I don't have cancer, I'm going to get it from this cookie. <laughs> oh, God. I can't eat this. Yeah. So, but, I mean, she was very nice, and she walked me out to him and says, yeah. your wife requested a burger. You yeah. need to go now. <laughs> and she actually called me a few days later to see how I was doing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. All right. So they tell you, do they say it's cancer? Do they say it's suspicious? Did they say? They said it was cancer. Yeah. They, the, the next call I got. Yeah. Yeah, that was since you were in rehearsals. For no, the, well, no, you were in. Yeah, you I were was in the rehearsals. gym. Okay, but had you finished this Hampton project uh-huh. yet? I was no. out there. It was okay. more weeks. I was in at fact, the gym in the Hampton. That was her birthday. It was around Labor Day. Yeah. And oh, uh, so when she got the call, I immediately I I was working that weekend, and so I subbed out my gigs that weekend, and I hopped on the Hampton Jitney. <laughs> brought to, to find your wife a Hampton right. Jitney <laughs> with his us. Yeah. Right, to, to find your wife at the bougie gym. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. wait, the phone call went something like this. <laughs> yeah, the Hampton exactly. Jimmy left. Yeah. And he was like, oh, God. Yeah. I was, <laughs> like, well, I was like, I'm, I'm going to go out there. I'm, I, I'm coming out to see you. I'm coming out right now. Like, no, don't, no, don't, just don't play your gig. It doesn't matter. I was like, please, no, no. Wait, did you like, did you like collect her born style and suck her back to Manhattan for treatment or something? No, no. I went. I went. I had gigs. We, she was working. 
she was working out there the whole time. It was a great play, actually. It, it was really an enjoyable. I'm glad she had that during yeah. that time because it was because my outfit was low cut, so I got to show my my. <laughs> ah. Yeah, she got yeah. the girl. The, both the, the, girls the girls got to got hang got out for one last. Yeah, okay. You chartered. You chartered. Uh, chartered a private Hampton Jitney. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. And then I got out there and I and I like got skeevy with my wife. <laughs> what? Well, so anyway, yeah, but we we did. No, she she was out there and then and then that weekend they, they were doing all these parties. Was that the last mm-hmm. weekend of the? Yeah, yeah we were okay. Done. So that was the last weekend of the show. So so uh, an actress named Lilius White was was uh, starring in the show, and so that night. Uh, when I got there, they um, Lilius was having uh, a big get together at her house where she was living in Sag Harbor, and so she's like making chicken wings and doing all this stuff, and mm-hmm. we're sitting around, and that was right after I think that was right after the, the one of the political conventions, oh. and so we're sitting at the table, and of course everyone's like getting into it about Mitt Romney's speech, and you know, and like we're sitting at the table, and Kiku is just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, incapable yeah. of yeah. of anything functional. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I actually, I'm allergic to mosquito bites, and I didn't realize that I had gotten about 40 bites while I was wow. sitting there. Completely yeah. could not move. Yeah. Was completely numb. That was an interesting weekend, but I'm I'm glad we went to that party, and then there was yeah. another party at the tail end of the weekend, and it involved a lot of uh, grilled flesh, which mm-hmm. you know to which, return to mm-hmm. the previous reference. Mm-hmm. But it was, my, it was season. It was season. That was nice of them at least. Yeah, they yeah. did season. Yeah, oh, I want to I want to cut away to the fact that you guys are musicians. Mm-hmm. You've always been musicians, mm-hmm. trained professional. You're yeah. gigging. You're out there. Yeah. And you uh, you have a new album. Well, yeah, yeah. It's and the I, newest. I, yeah. It is the newest. Would you She's like got the newest album? So we have a track to cut to, <laughs> but I would love you to take a minute to talk about how you met, how music brought you together how music was, has been shaped by your diagnosis. <laughs> Try to keep it laughing? clean. <laughs> Try to keep it rated at least just R, maybe not X. <laughs> um, and then set, set, set us up. it out in post. Let him say whatever. <laughs> right. And set us up for, the, for this track. Well. What? You, you seem like you had a lot to say. <laughs> oh, she wants me to go there. All right. So we met. We had a mutual friend. And uh, it was a mutual friend in the music business. And I only know my relationship with him. I don't know Kiku's. Yeah. Well. Anyway. It was pure. So uh, <laughs> he, he used to talk about he used to talk about Kiku a lot, and he would mention her, and he would say, well, I, "I'm surprised you guys don't know each other. You seem to have so much in common. You both have daughters. You you know you both have some similar experiences." So time comes one year. I I'm at this convention. It's a trumpet convention, but I'm performing with a trumpet player at the convention. Kiku is also performing at the convention and both of us kind of spill out into the hotel, you know, lobby at the same time from our conference rooms. And I see her and I think, Oh, I should say hello to her. Wow. She's really fine. (laughs) So she's surrounded by a group of people who are asking her about Beyonce's toothpaste. And uh, I have that problem. Yeah, you dig. So, so I'm hanging out, and I'm thinking, well, all right, I'll I'll hang out for a minute just to say hello. You know, ah, oh yeah, we both know Steve, you know. And I hung out for a little while, and it just got to the point where it was a little stalkerish. So I took off, and uh, I went home, and I did a little scan for her on Facebook, and I found her, and I sent her a message, and I said, yeah, hey, uh, just wanted to say I I was gonna say hello today because you know we both know Steve and. 
And, uh, you know, I was at the thing, and she writes me back, and she goes, what the hell were they doing letting a trombone player in a trumpet convention? <laughs> and I thought, oh, yeah, spunky. Okay. Right. And uh, so... Low so, standards. Right. Yeah, so anyway, that was it. That was it. That was the extent of our communication. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was uh, love at first. No, no, no. It, it was actually uh, two years of not yeah. having any not contact talking. at all. Okay. And then, and then at the end of two so years, like buyer's remorse, and then coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, right. it, it it wasn't yeah. actually. Like I don't think it was shopping. Kind I don't of. think we ever understood that it was a come on. I wasn't really no. coming on to you. No, I was just being polite. I right. really was. I'm yeah. being honest. I'm Weird. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. polite. When it really yeah. comes down to Because I don't know too many musicians that date musicians. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very atypical. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I think mostly. Uh, it's not a, I mean, who's going to state the other person's ego? It's, that's yeah. the hard part, you know. Yeah. But, but anyway, so then, so after two years, uh, you know, I kind of got a picture of her uh, through her updates and the things that she would post because she would show up on my feed. And she was consistently positive and curious, um, used uh, good grammar and spelling and, you know, all kinds of things that I find really sexy. And, uh, but, but mostly her philosophies were aspirational and positive. And so she said something that I, it, I connected with and, and I wrote her a letter and I said, you know, I think, I think you help people. I think I think your thoughts are really good for people, and I appreciate what you what you put out there. And then that was when the real dialogue started. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's play a few minutes of this track. It's called Blue Patrol. Can you just? Uh, you want me to stop talking now? I want Ooh. you to I want you to stop talking because we haven't even gotten to their first date yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Come on, we, man. Right, I'm I'm gonna commit an entire show. I put like, my rep out there. It's like, tell us about the first time you poked on Facebook. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, we we do a, we have a finite amount of time. Right. You do. So, so, but I, I do want to cut away to this clip mm-hmm. of the song Blue Patrol. So set Blue set Patrol. it up for us. Blue Patrol. Well, Kiko wrote it. Wrote it with my drummer. Jay Z performs in in uh, one you of the verses. You know what he, he plays? Busy. Cassette. He remixes uh, it later. Yeah, punk on triangle. Right, right. We had to yeah, take, but we cut that. Yeah, it was no yeah, good. We had to take that out. Terrible. Too much. Yeah. In the extended version. It's okay. Just, it's yeah. Yeah. So Blue Patrol was Kiko's tune. Badass. Yeah. And oh. then I think but I played on it. I played on it after. Yeah. Shortly after we met. You'll notice that there are valve trombones. That's me. No. No. But then when it came to. When it came to an actual trombone solo, I was like, ooh, yeah, how about this guy that I'm dating? He can play it. So he did. Very nice. I won't tell you how she compensated me. Okay, well, Penny, on that note, here's Blue Patrol. Thank you. 
That's very impressive. Fun, right? Well, we can talk after the show because we can do overtime like Gilmar does, except we're not Gilmar on HBO. But in any case, we want to keep talking to you, but we got to go to our second segment. However, to close us out, happy ending, right? You are well. You are. You just fired your second doctor. You're up to Moxpin. You bought $10,000 worth of stupid cancer merchandise. (laughs) (laughs) Using Bill Me Later. Right. (laughs) I swear I'm good for it. You you have a child who's well and happy that mom's doing great. She's so happy that I'm off the tamoxifen. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. She's my biggest. She's my cheerleader. So you're you're currently shopping for a, a, a new doctor. New we have college. a new doctor. We're going to see. Well, we're gonna we're gonna meet a new doctor yeah. and see how that goes. Right. <laughs> that's well, that's like the old story. Uh, Chris Carr used to say that you are. Um, CEO of Save My Ass Incorporated, mm-hmm. and your doctor was an employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yes. Or a consultant. Yes, yeah. a consultant, yeah. exactly. Yeah, they're not our boss. Yeah. Right. right. I always say a hospital is not a prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're entitled <laughs> to leave when you want to leave. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You suckers. Exactly. Yeah, that's a great, that's I a like great it. Line. Although, although when I was in the ICU, they would not let me leave to go to the next game. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's horrible. Rude. That's horrible. I know. Yeah, well, did you really want to go to the next game? Or the other thing? They actually or did anything? win that night. Oh, it's okay. Wow, that never <laughs> will be other. This is a show about young adult cancer. You are not an old lady with Woo-hoo! breast cancer. Andy is not an old lady with breast cancer. Nope. I was not an old man with brain cancer. Nope. This is about who we you are. Might be, you might be an old woman with breast cancer. I might be an old woman with breast cancer, but that's kind of the problem. Got to get that checked. I know. What do they, what, they call a pre-trans or something? I don't know. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, man, we live in Chelsea. Yeah, yeah true. exactly. Yeah. Now, hey, Facebook added 50 new lifestyle choices, right? It's cool now. Wow. Well, men, can, men can get breast cancer. It's not like a transvestite thing. <gasps> I have thing. a friend who has it. Mm-hmm. Archer, oh. Archer yeah. had breast cancer. Archer had breast cancer, too. Yeah. Like Archer, the TV show guy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who was that? Wasn't that the the Scott, Scott Bakula? No. The no. cartoon dude. Oh, okay. No, you're thinking of... Uh, you got to check it out. Was that Sam? Whatever. Iggy says. Iggy. <laughs> oh, God. All right, baby. We have really taken a quantum leap right now. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I like how they don't even know what the hell we're talking about. No. They're like, Quantum Leap was like the greatest sci-fi series throughout the entire 90s. Ever. The entire 90s. Yeah, we used to watch that in my dorm 
Yeah. Leaping, me yeah. leaping. Okay. I watched it during recovery on Netflix. Okay, yeah, even better. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Well, I'm thrilled. We're going to talk to you after the show, but yeah. this has been one of the more enlightening, exciting, invigorating, spicy, <laughs> in studio guest interviews we've ever had. Yes. So, all right. So now it is time for us to hit up the news. But uh, Kiku Collins, David Gibson, thank you for joining us. And now it's time for the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, head on over to events.supercancer.org. That is events.supercancer.org. You're a one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events. Nationwide, something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. Matthew, we have some stuff coming up in Durham, North Carolina, New York, New York, Cupertino, California, Renton, Washington, Rochelle Park, New Jersey, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Lakewood, Colorado. Okay, Vegas time, folks. Registration for the 7th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults is in full force. Join hundreds of your fellow young adult patients, survivors, and caregivers for an epic three-and-a-half-day event that will change your life forever. It does us. Epic. Visit OMG2014.org and learn more about uh, the Players Club, which is your path to a $600 travel scholarship just by fundraising. OMG2014.org. All right, I think our first guest would agree with me. It's always time to stock up on your stupid cancer gear. We've got all new products and styles to choose from. You'll stay nice and warm in a stupid cancer hoodie. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org and be proud. Wear stupid cancer. And another reminder that we're launching a mobile health app called Instapeer this spring. It's going to revolutionize cancer support. It is the first platform of its kind that will do automatic peer matching for cancer patients and caregivers, and it's incredibly exciting. We encourage you to go to facebook.com slash instapeer, instapeer.org, or follow at instapeer on Twitter. Watch the video and be part of history, and that is your... Stupid Cancer News. Okay. This has been a show I've been very excited about. We've done a lot of research. We've been speaking to these folks for quite a while. And anything that has to do with Patrick Dempsey sets the heart afire of our VP Programs Alley Ward. I would like to introduce to the show, Laura Davis is the president of Rink Advertising in Maine, the co-producer of the Peloton Project, the voice behind I Hate Cancer Facebook page on a 25-year cancer survivor. She's joined us with uh, by Ramsey Tripp, the owner of, of uh, Trademark Art Productions in Lewiston, Maine, and the director and co-producer of the Peloton Project documentary film. Please welcome to the show to discuss this amazing project, Labor of Love with Patrick Dempsey, who's not on the show, but here in spirit, <laughs> Laura Davis and Ramsey Tripp. Well, how are you doing? Welcome. Hey, hey how are you? Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having us. No, we're really excited to finally get you guys on the show to talk about the project. Very inspiring and, and um, something we really care very deeply about. Oh, thank you. We do, too. <laughs> I hope so. You produced it. Yes. Well, I watched yes. it this morning. It was very inspiring. It was very interesting. Uh, I really did enjoy it. One of my questions was how you guys got hooked up or how the organization, uh, the Dempsey Project, got hooked up with the organization uh, Cancer Vive in Alberta, Canada, to kind of get this whole thing started. Yeah, I can I can take that question. So um, basically, we Ramsey and I have been doing work with the Dempsey Challenge and the Dempsey Center for many years, and and with Patrick Dempsey, and and every year. We um, have produced, you know, short films, five-minute, 15-minute films that center around some of the cancer stories um, that we've found at the challenge. 
So a few years ago, we set up this big tent at the finish line, and it was called the Behind the Bib Tent. And as people were finishing the Dempsey Challenge, we were taking them right off, you know, the finish line and saying, tell us your story. Why are you here? Because our theory was everyone who did that challenge, was whether it was the, you know, the 5K walk or the 100-mile bike ride, that there was a reason and we pulled this guy into our tent off the 50-mile um, bike ride. His name was Brian McGregor, and he told us that he was from Calgary, and he was there at the challenge sort of scoping us out to see if he wanted to bring a whole group of riders um, from Calgary, Canada, you know, Alberta, all the way to Lewis and Maine. He's a prostate cancer survivor, and he had spent um, – you know, several years going to live strong, and he really wanted to change it up, and so he was there. And, you know, within five minutes, Ramsey and I looked at each other, and we were like, oh, my God, if you're serious and you're really going to pedal from Calgary to Lewiston, uh, we want to come with you. And so that's where the Peloton Project was born. Very impressive. And and, and I would I would look at, you know, the the cycling world kind of you know had a hard time recovering from a public image perspective recently, but you guys are taking a very sort of hard stance on that. This is really about the the spirit of surviving and the spirit of of the 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 cause and the movement and people. And I, I really commend you on taking that and owning that. So I, I was just hoping you could talk a little bit about you know what the end game is for the film. What what is it you hope to accomplish what's the message out there to the public and how are you kind of differentiating this from other similar films? Uh, for one thing, there there aren't really a lot of films out there that kind of take on this epic journey and it really um, shows a lot of the parallels between this epic cycle ride with what happens with people who are diagnosed with cancer. Um, you know, there's ups, downs, good days, bad days, and um, so people watch it and they see that and they um, really experience what the cyclists experience. And so I think in a way it allows people to connect with a cancer diagnosis even if they haven't had cancer or if they have a loved one that has, they kind of like get it. They understand like what's going on, what's taking place. Um, so there's a lot of different levels to the film. So people come away with a lot of different uh perspectives, I guess, just because of all the different people that there are in the film. I really enjoyed that there was a group of cancer survivors themselves, um, you know, and everyone there was kind of representing somebody. So why don't you explain a little bit about the ride and how, you know, how the people kind of all came together and a little bit about the survivors as well who uh, told their stories, whether it be that they eventually made their way to Maine or that they did the ride themselves? Sure. Um, Randy, do you want to take that one? Sure. So the ride was this crazy 2,500-mile ride from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, to Lewiston, Maine. And it was not just like that the mileage was crazy, but they were actually doing this ride in October. And so that was all across the south of Canada and the north of the United States, kind of weaving back and forth in between Canada and the United States. And they pedaled it the whole way. So they had six teams, and 
they would ride for six hours at a time, try to get about 100 miles a day on in those six hours, and then they'd have to jump ahead and leapfrog so that the next time that they started, they were at the position that they needed to be at so that when the team pulled into, you know, the rest stop or the hotel that they were staying at, they were all ready to go for their next six hours. And so they leapfrogged each team all across Canada and the United States. And, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, they they were riding for someone that they called a warrior, somebody who was either recently diagnosed with cancer or was a recent survivor. Um, and so they took those people kind of on their back, on their cycles with them in spirit as they rode across the country riding for them. And it became very powerful for them, of course, and then most of the warriors, if they were able, um, were at the finish line ready to meet them um, on on the last day of the ride. And so the warriors were all there cheering for them as they came across the finish line. That was that was a very powerful day, even for us as the filmmakers. Um, pretty much no one that was there was without tears in their eyes. I mean, it was just a very powerful thing when the cyclists, because that last day they all came together as one big peloton with about 40 riders coming into Lewiston and between Auburn and Lewiston there's this bridge and all the warriors and a bunch of people from the cities were there to cheer them on and they came across that bridge and it was just like, bam, it just like hit you. Like, this is crazy. Excuse me. And, um, yeah, so it was very powerful when they came together and just lots of hugs and lots of tears at that point. How did you go about selecting the cyclists? They they were the people that just signed up. <laughs> so um, through through the Calgary based Wellspring, um, they have this organization called Cancervive, and Cancervive is kind of the fundraising arm of Wellspring Calgary, and this was their big event that is, does fundraising for that center so that they can keep all of their services free so that people can come in and get Reiki and massage therapy and different things like that. So they used this as a fundraiser, and all the people that were connected were just real people. We didn't, like, select anyone. It was just the people that came that wanted to do this ride. Um, and on the first day that they kind of signed up, we said, hey, by the way, if you're on this ride, we're going to film a documentary about it. So uh, hopefully that's cool with you. And everybody, of course, was great. So. And what what we did do though is we we did select warriors or cancer patients to also follow their journey because we wanted to we wanted to <laughs> illustrate the fact that you know as these as these riders were going on this epic crazy journey the people that they were riding for were going on their own journey so we focused in on three cancer patients two of them. Um, we're from Calgary, um, Shay and Terry. And then Ramsey and I, when we started this project, we said we really want to find a cancer patient here, you know, in the States where we have easy access. We can really, you know, film their treatment and, you know, film sort of a lot more of their story. And one of the surprising things about the film is that as we were in our um, – let's see, a little over a year ago in our fundraising um, phase of the film, we were doing a Kickstarter. Um, and, you know, I, my college roommate um, from BU was 
was fundraising for us. And, and I was explaining to her one night, I said, you know, we really want to find a patient, you know, in Maine or New Hampshire, we can focus on their story. And she said to me, well, you know, I always told you I'd do anything for this film. And now I have to tell you, I've been diagnosed with cancer. So it was this really strange serendipitous moment for us where we were able to actually cast my best friend in this film. And, you know, Annie, if you saw the film this morning, then you saw the woman who so generously let us go in for her partial mastectomy and she sort of let it all hang out, you know, um, as she said, she, she, she went yeah. topless for Patrick good. Dempsey. <laughs> But she, you know, that, so that was very surprising, and 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 I thought she did a wonderful job. And she was very brave to let us follow her, you know, through her treatments and and through a really scary, you know, time for her. Well, it's but. not easy to share your story when you're first starting out, and it's very unnavigated and it's very confusing, and you have no idea what's going on, and you're just trying to figure right. your way out. I couldn't even fathom someone asking me, "Can we film this?" I'd be like, yeah. "No." <laughs> if, only if the only if the uh, goal is to film somebody having a nervous breakdown, but uh, well, she does, she does get to say she does get to say that she starred in a movie with Patrick Dempsey and she was topless. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's sort of like you know it was worth it for her and but it was a great yeah. journey for us too. You know I'm also a cancer survivor and so it was you know it was powerful for me to watch her go through this and to just to just be so open about sharing her story. I, I'm with you. I don't know if I could have done that in that moment when so much is unknown. But um, she did a great job, and, and she really added so much to the film. Yeah, she really did. And, Ramsey, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Patrick Dempsey's involvement and what he thinks about the ride, since that's, you know, coming from a different organization and bring that into his whole project. Yeah. Well, Patrick's just a, a great guy to begin with. He's just very real, very genuine, um, loves Maine, loves to kind of support Maine as much as he can. And so in this process, Laura and I have been able to, you know, work with Patrick in the past for the uh, Patrick Dempsey Center. Um, we just had a relationship, and I, when we this was kind of in process of the film, I was like, uh, you know, I'd love to ask him about this. And so we put together the proposal and everything and uh, shared it with him and some of his staff, and he was into it. He didn't, like, second-guess it. He was like, yeah, like, uh, let's do it, you know, that kind of a thing. And so it was great. He was just really excited about the project from the beginning. And then um, as we were going through it, he was excited about the ride. He couldn't believe, like, the people in it. And when we finally premiered it in Lewiston, he came to the premiere, and, you know, we were, we're kind of nervous, like, oh, what's Patrick going to think? You know, he had, we hadn't been able to get him really um, any preliminary copies because it was such a rush to get it done. We had this one deadline that we were doing it for a film festival to premiere it at their film festival. So we just were, like, under the gun to just try to get it done for that. So he shows up on the night of the premiere, and uh, Laura and I sat behind him um, to kind of, like, watch his reaction and stuff. And so when it was over, he immediately called 
L.A. and was like, we need to screen this at United Talent Agency so that you guys can see it, and we need to get this film out there so people can see this film. So that was a good reaction. <laughs> we were like, yeah, that was awesome. So, so right. now we're just, um, you know, trying to see what the next steps are, looking at film festivals, and uh, and then hoping to have, you know, further connections to, to drive the film further and hopefully get it out there so that lots of people can see it and, and hopefully be impacted by it. Laura, I was hoping you might be willing to share with us your cancer story and uh, what it has meant to you to see the dawn of social media. You and I, I was diagnosed 18 years ago, you were 25 years ago, very yeah. different time in the universe per se, you know, and... Um, yeah. You know, the dawn of social media has given us a brand new way to express ourselves and share our story and build community. Um, so what were you diagnosed in the 80s? I was in diagnosed in 80, 89, yeah. 1989, I was 25, and I had just had a baby. Um, she was three weeks old when I got really sick and, um, you know, eventually found out within a few weeks of being in the hospital that I had lymphoma. Um, and you're right. Not only, I don't even know if it was the internet invented in 1989. I don't know if it was. Um, I think it was a lot, but that's about it. Maybe prodigy. It was right. There wasn't even a social, an oncology social worker at the hospital where I was treated. There wasn't, there wasn't any way of connecting um, with other patients or survivors. It was really a vast desert. It was very scary. I remember my first year being so sick and finally meeting someone um, with my diagnosis. And he he was, you know, a few years out from my diagnosis. And I I remember it felt like being found in the desert and being handed a glass of water. It was like sit down and tell me everything, everything you know, and what can I expect, and how did you feel about this? And so and it was a chance meeting, and and the importance of that, you know, the importance of being able to connect. Um, I think that um, social media has changed the landscape for, for cancer patients in, in, in the best way possible. The work that you guys are doing um, is just so critical, and I – you know, I um, a few years ago, I started my own little Facebook community. It's the I Hate Cancer page, and I really just started it um, to connect with some, you know, some friends who were survivors. And but it grew from there. And the unique thing about the I Hate Cancer page on Facebook is that only half of the people who are community members are from the U.S. The other half are largely from the Middle East, um, and especially Jordan and Egypt. And I don't, I don't really understand why, except that it reminds me that the experience is, is universal, and I think cancer is a really great equalizer. Um, it, it sort of, it doesn't really matter where you're from or you know, what your gender is or what your race is or what your religion is, is a very common experience. And we all, as people, we need to connect around that. So, um, yeah, it was very different in 89. I was very so alone. How did, it make, 
feel I will I will christen you. Um, you may not be aware of this, but you are officially an alumni of Stupid Cancer because Thank we you. now we now have a bylaw in place that I just made up right now. Very formal. <laughs> that so long as you were ever diagnosed under forty, a young adult cancer survivor forever shall you be, regardless of whether we were in existence at the time. That's the that's the new button to the alumni. I appreciate ride. that. <laughs> so Thank you. Are, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, the the funny thing about or what I think about young adults facing cancer is this: now that I'm 25 years out. Um, I think when you're in your 20s and you're diagnosed with cancer, you have to face the second half of your life issues in the first half. So, you know, and you're thinking about all those things, your own mortality and, and all of that stuff. So in your second half of life, where I'm sort of headed, and I'm not quite there yet, but I'm headed there, that's when I intend to live in my 20s. So, I feel like if I had to live in my 70s when I was, you know, just a 25-year-old, I'm going to make up for lost time. So thank you for initiating me into stupid cancer. Um, I will make the most oh. of it. Yes, exactly. So I wanted you to talk, either one of you, like, like let's get the Ramsey back on here. Some of the writers were themselves young adult cancer survivors, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there were a bunch of the writers um, had certainly been, cancer survivors, and then there were a few that were young young writers who uh, kind of had out of the blue, you know, very healthy people, and then, bam, were hit with this cancer diagnosis. And so one of the guys that we really feature in the film, uh, his name is Marshall, and he's just a great guy, kind of a like, young, you know, hipster kind of guy into art and crazy music and all this kind of stuff. And just one day, got out of the shower and was like, hmm, that doesn't look right, you know. And um, and then through the process of going to doctors and stuff, found out he had testicular cancer and kind of, you know, talking with a girlfriend and just different things that, you know, a young guy, you don't really necessarily think about that sort of thing. And, um, but he, you know, he had to deal with it and um, it totally changed his life, and then he's like, he was kind of like working this one job, he's like, no, I just want to go back and do more art stuff, you know, like, why do I want to be stuck in an office all the time, and so that was, that was one of the stories that um, was really interesting, was really cool about the trip, and there were other young people too, Laura and I really connected with one of the warriors who was um, a young mom, and her journey and and we you know we had kind of started interviewing her thinking kind of one direction and then and then as you do documentary films it doesn't always turn out the way that you're thinking when you when you plan it you know when you start it out especially with a cancer diagnosis and and um partway through the filming she was re-diagnosed and it was looking really bad but she her name is Shay she's an amazingly strong woman and she's She's, you know, sticking it out there. She's doing great, and um, she's just a really powerful woman. I also noticed when I was watching it earlier today that it wasn't just um, the, I, I think his name, you said his name is Marshall, the guy who had testicular cancer when yeah. he was 25, but also a lot of the other people who were the warriors who were back home who eventually 
flew out to mean were also young on, on the younger side. Some one woman had very young children. A lot of them, some of the others, appeared to be you know not your typical cancer patient. They definitely seemed to be on the you know around 40, even younger. No one really stayed their age, but none of the, none of the people casted I felt like seemed old. Was that on purpose or is that just kind of accidental? Because to me, it seems like, wow, there's a lot of, you know, really young adults in this film who have, um, who have a form of cancer. And I thought that was really interesting uh, and also helpful for the movement. Yeah. We didn't, like Laura was saying, we didn't choose per se anyone except that we were looking for someone who had just been diagnosed. And then as, it turned out that was Claudette, who was Laura's best friend. Um, but the other ones were just people that were already connected to the ride. They already, um, you know, were people that we were kind of following. And so we included them in the film for, you know, various reasons. Some of it was uh, just kind of logistics because of where they lived and who they had connections with in the ride. And so that was the beginning of a lot of it. And, for Shay, um, who is this young mom that you were talking about, we connected with her because she was a survivor, had done cycling, and and had this, like, crazy family life, you know, and everything. Um, and so we just really connected to her. And then as it turned out, she had wanted to be a rider, but then because of the diagnosis, she ended up being a warrior. And it just it just changed. And um, so then we started following her as a warrior. But, yeah, she is very young and has two little kids. And her husband, you know, same age, very young. And his perspective is, is well, I, Laura and I have this kind of thing. We're not necessarily maybe like the whole pink cancer kind of thing, you know. So um, her husband, you know, would talk very openly about what he thought about cancer. And we really did with that. We really liked his thoughts about, hey, you know, this sucks, and if she lives, that's great. If she dies, well, i got to go on with my life, you know, and he was just very matter-of-fact about life. So right now the film is available for download at thepelotonfilm.com. Are you getting this into screenings or films or festivals? What's the the plan for this, the distribution? Um, Are you having public events? And, And I know you're obviously engaging the cancer community because you're talking to us and we want to help you, but what, what, what's the, the larger goal for getting more people to know about it? Well, we, uh, well, so we are, we're, we're getting the film into festivals. Um, we are making the film available um, on our website. We're also, one of our, our missions is that we get this film into the hands of, of, patients and survivors and and care centers so that, um, you know, the overwhelming response from from cancer patients and survivors has been that the film really resonates with them. So our mission is to provide that film. Um, But I guess the short answer to the question is, is we're now in a cycle of getting it into films this year. We have um, gone out to Beverly Hills and we've met with um, Patrick's team, and we've talked about lots of different distribution channels. I think that everybody wants to make sure that the film is seen um, in a variety of ways. But certainly your listeners can connect with us um, on the PelotonFilm.com 
um, or find us on Facebook. And, you know, we can make sure that anyone who wants that film can get it. And right now we're doing a thing online that if you purchase the film, uh, if you do the DVD version, then we're giving a, I'm sorry, if you do the download version, we're giving a physical copy of DVD to a cancer survivor who's been recently diagnosed, and we're doing that through the Dempsey Center and through Cancer Vive Wellspring in Calgary. So so we're trying to get it out there just to people who have a connection because you don't you don't have to be a cyclist to get into the film. It's all about real people, characters, and and people can just connect with that and hopefully enjoy their stories, uh, feel inspired, and that's what we want. We want people that have just been diagnosed to realize, hey, you know, you can keep going, you can do more, you can, you can, you know, take another step. Um, and that's, that's what we want people to get from the film. So I had a funny question. Maybe it's not funny. I have a kind of, a, no one finds me funny. Anyway, anyway uh, I was, <laughs> he's going to say a couple of words. I was going to say, uh, like, I was going to ask you, like, what were some of the, the things you couldn't plan for at the film? Was some, any, any surprises, like when you got to the, Customs at Buffalo with 40 bikes. Did they go batshit crazy? What the hell is this? <laughs> um, well, probably one of the biggest uh, crazy things was the uh, we had this RV that we had been donated to us so we could use it for the film, and it just kept breaking down. So that wasn't planned, and uh, we had a great crew, a small crew of filmmakers, but a great crew of guys, and. Uh, and the, the truck just kept breaking down. And so at one point, we almost got back. We were in Quebec, and the thing broke down. Actually, I guess we made it into Ontario. And so for the next two days, two of the guys, our guy who was shooting and our driver, we shot most of it off of a Can-Am Spider, which is like a three-wheel motorcycle that looks like a snowmobile. And so they spent the next two days in October and in some rain and terrible weather just on the motorcycle without having, like, the support of the RV because we just kind of left it in Ontario and and moved forward so we could keep up with the cyclists. So that was certainly unexpected. We had to not land on, you know, doing a bunch of RV repairs all across Canada and the United States. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to mention when the group of them got the stomach virus. Yeah, that... <laughs> That's, that what was thought your, that's what I thought your unexpected thing was going to be. I was like, oh, it's totally going to be when there's a group of them all holed up in one van vomiting and hiding from everybody else. <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was bad, too. And what Ramsey won't tell you is he spent the first day um, really, really sick, too. And actually, um, there was a doctor. There were a couple doctors on the trip, but one of them, Lisa, um, actually took care of Ramsey that first day when he was really sick and then a few days later she was the woman who had the accident um, the, the cycling accident and, and actually actually was pretty severely injured um, so that was not a pleasant surprise at all that was, that was really regrettable um, and then you know I think the other surprise about the film is that, as Ramsey said earlier, when you're making a documentary film, anything can happen, and you have to be ready for that. And so when you're centering, centering it on the lives of people living with cancer, you know, 
um, sometimes things don't turn out the way you want them to or, or the way you would wish. And so one of our warriors um, was was the first time we filmed her, Ramsey filmed her very last chemo treatment. And we really thought this is going to be a great story. She's going to have a great ending. We're going to be able to, you know, to show that you can come back from a cancer diagnosis, you can get treatment and, you know, be strong and be healthy. And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that she was rediagnosed during our year of filming. And um, after the Dempsey Challenge, got very sick and and actually um, died. And actually, you know, Ramsey um, went back out to Calgary to visit with her um, the day before she died. And so, you know, I think when you take on a project like this, I guess you have to be really open to really being on that path with people, you know, with patients and be willing to walk that walk, even when it's a really, really hard walk to walk. So one of the, I guess, things that will always stay with us is Terry. And some filmmakers, you know, they, they, I think kind of remove themselves a lot. And that's just not my personality. Like I, connect with people and so as I'm filming you kind of you know there is a a little bit of a tension there between that line of just kind of staying removed and distant and stuff and letting things happen and then also just being relating to the people and and connecting with them and um, the people that were in the film we we just loved them and I loved them and immediately when I met Terry I just loved her and her husband and um they were just great people. So, you know, so you're walking that journey with them, but they're not just, you know, people that are in a film. They're they're real people and they're your friends, you know. And um, so the the highs and the lows and the fun, I mean, we would laugh together and um, we would actually cry together. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just a great experience to be able to do a film like this and connect with great people and hopefully get that, that film out there so other people can connect with them too and really enjoy enjoy who they are because it's they're just real people and they were so open to us and we just had a great time with them. Well, we can't thank you enough for stopping by the show tonight. We've been speaking with Laura Davis, uh, co-producer and Ramsey Tripp, the uh, co-producer and director of The Peloton Project produced by Patrick Dempsey. The website is thepelotonfilm.com. We wish you only success and if you happen to be doing Tribeca Film in April, we'd love to see you when you're in town. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. Well, I have a special treat for uh, for um, you two guys sitting over there because I care about you so much. Um, this is for you. Guess what it is? This is for David and Kiku Collins. Biggie says you're supposed to kiss that guy. (laughs) This is the theme to Quantum Leap. We're never going to get home. 
Okay, I just had that to. I'm too young for this. Awesome. I had to pull, <laughs> had to pull it off. Oh, it was so like, bad. It was, yeah. it was spot on. on. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you checked it out. Yeah. This is when I feel powerful for being 40. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a cigar <laughs> yet. Well, so yeah, we, and we got to look at the. I would love to if you guys want to take out the. Uh, Check out that that film. I mean, have you seen any cancer movies? Did you see Fifty Fifty? By the way, like I think that came out. The, you know what? You probably didn't because it came up before you were diagnosed. Mm. Yeah, we haven't yeah. seen much. We haven't seen much in in that regard. But I mean, you don't seem like pity party people, right? So what did yeah, you we're do? Not good at that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> like when you engaged in the cancer community, were we the first group that you knew about, or were you like hit up by the American Cancer Society or Susan G. Komen and everything pink bullshit for months and months and months? You guys were like the kick-ass people that we found. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and then you like, got to know us. Yeah, <laughs> pamphlets. Oh, dearie, here, you should go and meet with this support group. And then, you know, you're like, yeah, well, think, is I anybody think... like me? Right. No. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah, it's about vitality and it's about yeah. a commitment to enjoying your life. I didn't even cry. Yeah. I mean, I cried plenty. That right. Good. Yeah, was, you guys have a good dumb. energy. Yeah. yeah, we're not about to cry. I mean, we we do cry, but we we're not about. To, hey, listen, I cried at uh, at the, the the thing that you guys did. Was it in Mar- no? At Long the East. At yeah. East. Yeah, we both yeah. cried. We're uh-huh. big sappy sap. Yeah. We are sappy. I mean, we you hope you come back too with that. By the way, me too. I have a Love special you. invite for you after the show. What did you cry at? At all uh, the East. Oh my God! What was the moment? There were a lot of moments. Well, it was uh, it was a uh, Hans. Hans, yeah. He, oh he, yeah. He, he got me. Ass. He got me pretty good. But Ooh. but the, uh, the the first cat too. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I was sick and came halfway. I uh, came out the lunch. No, that he it, was incredible. Yeah. He talked, I mean, he was. Yeah, he was talked a lot about his experience mm-hmm. with his family. Yeah. And, <laughs> his mom. Yeah, I love his mom. Hot. Can his mom adopt me? Is she listening? Are you serious? She said his mom started growing. She goes, go get me some. And she was like, give me the seeds. See, now, I mean, I lost I my mom to cancer I when that. I was 18. So we never got to that point where she might have offered to grow me weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But I'd be curious to well, know. Well, you would have grown her weed. Right. Yeah. I would be curious to know if she would have done that. People right. didn't know that back then, though. No, we that's really true. They didn't it. know that. the 80s. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, it was different back then. So before we go, I wanted you to just uh, tell us more about where you are in your music career now, and you know, did having this crazy cancer experience change the way you think, write, create, yes. engage, and because and, and, it did me. Yeah. I mean, I was. I mean, physically, it changed the way I played, but it just changed the way I think about creating music. And tell us more about the compensation. What? Dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's humid. I have to say that I was very busy the whole time. Like when I got diagnosed, I was living in freaking Long Island doing this play mm-hmm. in a low cut dress and a wig, and it was all crazy. You had a big schedule after that too. And I had a very big schedule. Right, we went, we came back home. I'm talking to these doctors, and I'm freaking out because I'm thinking I'm about to die. And I'm saying, but I have all these gigs. Yeah, she had, you had like a month worth of gigs. Yeah, I went to Brazil. Right. right. Yeah, with Gloria. I went to Brazil. And came back. And, and then did. I did two television shows. Oh, right. You and did, I was uh, flipping yeah. out. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to sub out these gigs because you know how this business is and, and the, the like the sub better. And, and Dr. Mills was cool. Dr. He Mills was so cool. And he just oh, said, my God. He says, eh, 
you, you do the gigs. We'll schedule the surgery afterwards. Right. Uh, you're not a ticking time bomb here. So I literally, like, went to Brazil, came back, was... Um, you went to D.C.? No, D.C. was after. I went, I, um, I did a week um, with BET. Oh, right. And we filmed that. And then I went to D.C. and played at the Kennedy Center for Ellen DeGeneres. And then, like, two days later, they were... Hacking my breast off. And yeah. I was like, oh, all right. That was a crazy time, though. But that, you know what? We, as much as we've been frustrated with the oncologists, the, all the surgeons, surgeons and the radiation so oncologists. so amazing. Right. I mean, Dr. Mills called you the night before. He did. I don't know. Does anybody else Is have that, that the guy experience? you fired or a different no, guy? No, okay. yeah. okay, he's a breast surgeon. Okay, He's like Wilford Brimley. Yeah. Ah. He's great. He's just like. I have diabetes. <laughs> right. He gets his, his meds in the mail or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's got Quaker Oats. <laughs> right. Yeah. I no, he's great. Go ahead, go ahead. On the uh, topic of doctors, I remember when I was in, when I was admitted to the ho- to the hospital, I emailed like my other doctors who weren't going to be immediately involved. And the next morning, I'm like hanging in the hospital, and someone walks in, and she goes, "I'm here from gynecology." And I was like, "I had my total hysterectomy like six weeks ago." She goes, "I know, but I emailed. She's like, you emailed Doctor Blank. What was going on? She feels terrible." She can't come see you, but she wanted us to come check on you during their rounds and to tell you, I gave her a stupid cancer sweatshirt and to tell you that um, she was wearing the sweatshirt I gave her all day. And then she, I was literally being rolled into my brain surgery and she like detoured and found me to say good luck right before I went into the room. Yeah, that's nice. So she and she would come visit me like all the time. I had like all my doctors came in who they don't work in the hospital, they came in. Oh, that's to come see me. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know, also Doctor Mills um You should come to my doctor. It was it was uh during Hurricane (laughs) Sandy was was the week right immediately following her. Yeah, Yeah, I was in treatment too during Sandy. Doctor Mills gave us his cell phone number and we were taught he couldn't come in that the power was down. So he we were talking on the cell phone every day. Tell me how you doing. Yeah. And then we got this. We have to like vision. bottle these doctors and the personalities right. and figure Can we out. These people? Yeah. Do you know this book, Cancer Vixen? Because somebody. Yeah, that's Marissa yeah. Um, Marchetto. I love her. A, She's a good friend a of mine. And we were we were looking through the book, and Kiku was like, "Honey, is this?" That looks like Doctor Mills. It was him. So so I took a picture and texted it to him. She's an amazing person. That book made big waves when it came out a couple I of years love ago. It. My daughter was reading it the other night. She pulled yeah. it out of the shelf. She was like, oh, yeah, let me look at this again. Yeah, it's good. It's, yeah. She's an amazing person. Yeah. Very cool. No, it's been, I mean, it's been, and I've been busy. I was busy in between. I was busy during my, my uh, radiation. I mean, the last day of my radiation treatment, I um, had a recording session. Oh, yeah. This was six weeks. I was like like a burn victim. Yeah. And so nobody knew. It's a good thing you can play like violin, having like thing and pressing on your chest. Oh my right? god, I was in so much pain. Yeah, it's true though. It's yeah. very hurt to pro- have it to was project. Awful. Yeah. Right. Awful, but Here, here's knew. my wife. Here's my wife. The surgeons are like, yeah, you can't play for this amount of time. You can't do this. You can't do this. And it was just like, yeah. As soon as she could get out of bed, she was on the couch like with the trumpet like, playing. Like, with yeah. pillows, like, long tones. I, yeah. I got to tell you, that was the best for me too. I'd be back, and once I could hear her practicing again, it felt like her home again. Yeah. Was, All know, right. Final question. Yep. Arturo Sandoval, mm-hmm. God or demon? I love him. Yeah. I love him. The first time I actually met him face to face, we were at some trumpet 
convention thing and and uh, and I saw him and I was like, oh my god, and, you know, I have all these different he was sponsors. To talk to you. <laughs> all these different sponsors. So yeah. I was with Chopsaver, which is my my lip sponsor. Right. And I'm like, go introduce me to Arturo. You know, and so Dan, of course, is like, hey, Arturo, you know, because, you know, yeah. Arturo also uses Chop Saver. So. Not the same tube, though. Yeah, we, we have our own right. tube. Right, okay. Thank you. <laughs> so, and he was so sweet. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, so are you are you here performing? Or I was like, no, I'm just with my, you know, with my, my horn company that they sponsor me. She goes, he was like, show me what horn you play. And he, like, grabbed my hand and we're, like, running down the hall. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was hysterical. Awesome. I think people were talking about The it, highest note awesome. ever played in musical history, Arturo Sandoval. He also plays piano, though. And yeah. He, and he loves pretty to much. sing. Yeah. <gasps> he really likes to sing. He was one of my heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Well, we are out of time. But I'm really excited we got to have you guys in the studio to talk about your story. The amazing uh, Kiku Collins and uh, David Gibson, you guys get a special applause. You get the... Uh, the uh, don't, don't, but don't. Where is it? <laughs> Why is it not the playing? Pretty good. We actually use that quite often. Is that right? I don't know why the applause isn't working, but okay. Let's see if this works They again. took the night off. They're union. They don't work after nine times. <laughs> I seem to have lost sound on my computer, but that's okay. You can get uh, crazy about it it's after the show. No, and I can't play our closing sequence. Oh, there we go. Okay, there we go. I hear there's room on the uh, internet. It works. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. As your eyes get bigger and bigger. All right, folks, that's our show, our 300th broadcast. We have been as fun as we did. Talking a stick at Stupid Cancer. We'd like to thank our guest tonight, Kiku Collins, David Gibson, and from the Peloton Project, Ramsey Tripp and Laura Davis, and vicariously... To Patrick Dempsey. Next week's show, boxer Terry Moss. Join us for an exclusive interview with young adult survivor blogger Aaron Havel and WIBA, WIBF retired world champ Terry Moss, who through interferon treatment has learned to get busy living and inspire millions. Spotlight on Grant Besner, founder of Lama Mama. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes, Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio. Check us out anytime at stupidcancershow.org and stupidcancer.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Annie Goodman, welcome back, Annie Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next Monday for episode 301. Good night, folks. Thanks.